This is the Widescreen Podcast, show number 304. And why am I talking like this? I have no idea. It's just one of those things that I do to be stupid, and I'm very good at being stupid. I'm very smart at being stupid, and I don't know what I'm talking about. Anyway, here we are, May, and the show is, of course, later than I want it to be. I know, my annual bitching about how much I'm not doing the show as often as I want, and then I end up not doing the show as often as I want. Ah, the lovely life of having two jobs, plus streaming, plus prop making, and now TennoCon is going to be arriving in three months, so I've got more, a lot more work that I need to do before then. Yeah, it's fun. It's it's loads. No, it's not. It's not. I mean, it's fun, but I don't like the the lack of free time. Free time is something that you know. Let like Khan says, time is a luxury you don't have, Captain. Boy, is he right? But anyway, nothing nothing particularly special going on. My wife and I did go to see Superman the movie theatrically. It was the first time we had ever seen that movie in theaters. Obviously, because we were. We were kids, I mean, really, really tiny kids when that movie came out theatrically. But it was nice to finally see that on the big screen. The only part about it that was, I don't want to say it was weird, it it caught me off guard, was that they were showing the original theatrical version. So a lot of those extra scenes that we've kind of come to take for granted, if you've watched the Blu-rays or things like that, they weren't there. And suddenly it's like, wait, where, where did they skip that scene? Oh, yeah, that was added on later. But, you know, it was it was very cool. And, and the tickets were only like five dollars per person, which was weird in a good way. But was uh, I want to say disappointing. I don't know if that's the right word for it. The theater, there were maybe 10 people in the theater and that's it. I'm just thinking this is a like a one time theatrical showing for the movie's 45th anniversary. And there are maybe 10 people in the theater. Really? Really makes me wish that Fandango and other such websites would, um, you know, Phantom Phantom Events, put out some kind of ad, let people know more about that. I bet there are a bunch of people that if they knew it was in the theaters, they would have gone to see it. But I would not be surprised if the vast majority of people simply didn't know about it because they weren't told. Which yeah, I mean that makes sense. You know what I'm getting at. You know what I'm getting at. It just feels like a lot of these special events are hidden away and only discovered by people who happen to see it on social media or subscribe to their... Well, you know what? I subscribe to their mailing lists, and I didn't know about it. You know, I, I had to have a good friend of mine, BJ, tell me about it. But I don't know. Lost opportunities, I guess. Anyway, nothing else really going on. It, it's pretty much same old, same old. So, let's get to the stuff. And there is something in this episode that I am not happy with. You'll know what it is as soon as you hear it. You knew this was coming. I've been warning you about this for a long time because it's been happening in other parts of the world. But Netflix is now planning to phase in its paid sharing in the U.S. within the coming weeks. So that's their term for cracking down on people who share their login passwords and so forth. So April through June is going to be part of their broad rollout where they're finally going to make people pay up for sharing their password information. Of course, in something... um, they, they didn't say how much it's going to cost once they detect what's going on. Uh, it says that pricing has not yet been specified in all territories, but the company said it did expect a financial impact on second quarter and third quarter results. So if you are one of those who have been sharing your Netflix password, get ready to, well, I don't know if you'll, you'll probably see a, a prompt uh, saying, hey, start paying up a bit more, or the person who is using your password will get the prompt 
But either way, get ready. If you give other people your Netflix information, then expect to pay more or for them to pay more. Either way. Following the trend of offering streaming channels or streaming options with ad-supported tiers, AMC Plus with ads is going to be arriving soon. They don't say when. All they're saying is that it's expected sometime later in 2003. And of course, there's also no specific pricing listed either. So uh, it says the ad tier will come at a lower cost than the standard AMC Plus service. Although for now, the exact cost of AMC Plus with ads remains unknown. They do say, however, that uh, we will place ads in ways that are not disruptive, that are really thoughtful, which sounds to me like they're not just going to throw a full screen ad right in the middle of the show. Some movies will have no ads, some movies may have a mid-roll, or some will have a pre-roll. It's not one-size-fits-all, and we get to be very careful on how we place commercials in viewers' streaming choices. But they also say that they're not going to hold back content on, on the lower tier either, saying that all subscribers will get access to all content, no matter their choice. It will be the same product on both tiers. We are not going to take series and movies people expect to watch and say that you only get them if you pay more. Well, that at least, that's, a, that's at least a plus. No pun intended, since everything streaming is going with a plus now. So anyway, once the prices and so forth are announced, you'll hear it right here. And once again, I get to go a little bit on the I told you so side here. Disney has announced its intention to remove certain content from its streaming platforms. Disney is in the process of reviewing, as they say, we are in the process of reviewing the content on our DTC, as they call it, services, to align with strategic changes in our approach to content curation, blah, 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 blah. Basically, what that means is they are going to be taking movies and shows off of the streaming platform so that they don't have to pay residuals. Disney has not yet disclosed which specific content will be removed from its streaming platforms. And this is the part that's really annoying. They're trying to frame it as though, well, it's due to competition from Netflix and Amazon Prime. Competition from Netflix and Amazon Prime should mean that you focus more on fewer shows of higher quality instead of as many shows as you possibly can. That's what that should mean. That should not mean, oh, we're going to get rid of all of this content that is already available so that we don't have to pay residuals to them. And really, you know, it, it's one of the things about discs, whether you have to, to rent them or buy them on the used market or whatever, especially for older shows or movies, is that once you have it, you have it. It's done. It's over with. You've got it. Unless the disc goes bad, you can watch it as many times as you want. And I'm really wondering how soon, uh, with, with so many different places like HBO Max and Disney Plus and so forth, taking stuff off the air so that they don't have to pay residuals before people start saying, you know what, I really want to see this again, but the only way to watch it is on disc, so now i got to go out and get a player and then, and then buy the used discs or whatever. I'm just wondering how much longer it'll be before discs actually start to come back because so much is being taken offline to not have to pay residuals. Or, 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 either that, or people start putting their pirate hat on. BitTorrent is a thing. And really, I am at a point where I, a, a good citizen and a, and a um, you know, from a legal standpoint, I should not be advocating downloading anything on BitTorrent. But I think we're at a point now where so much stuff is being taken off of these streaming services and they might not be available new to purchase on disc. So if you purchase a used disc, that studio is not making any money anyway. 
And really, it's at a point where it's like, you know what? If you want to put your pirate hat on, I am not going to say that's a bad thing. Oh, and about discs. <sighs> yeah, this is the one that I'm not happy about. Netflix has announced that they are closing down their original DVD by mail business, which basically, I mean, that's how Netflix started, renting discs. And up until recently, they even announced that it's been profitable. But uh, now it's the end of an era, really, because now they're going to retool their streaming options, including a new ad-supported plan, and they are shutting down their DVD business. Yeah, that was not a good email to receive. It said, because I'm, I'm still a subscriber to their, to their disc option because there are a ton of movies that I can rent on disc or TV shows that are not available for streaming. And even at that, oh, well, I want to watch this movie. Well, it's on that streaming service. Oh, I want to watch this movie. Well, it's over on that streaming service. Why well, don't want to watch this TV series. Well, that's over on this other streaming service. It's ridiculous. So the email said to everyone who ever added a DVD to their queue or waited by the mailbox for a red envelope to arrive, thank you. After an incredible 25-year run, we've made the difficult decision to wind down at the end of September. Our goal has always been to provide the best service to our members, but as the DVD business continues to shrink, that's going to become increasingly difficult. Making our 2023 final season allows us to maintain our quality of service through the last day and go out on a high note. So the last discs will be mailed out on September 29th and must be returned by October 27th. Final bills will go out in August. Streaming accounts obviously won't be affected. So that part, frankly, sucks. And the whole thing about DVD rental not being popular is actually BS because Redbox is still doing very well with their uh, DVD rental kiosks. You know, and even the video game rental service Gamefly, remember that? Yeah, they're still around and they're still renting discs. They're also renting Blu-rays and Ultra HD movies as well. So yeah, this part sucks. In fact, Redbox, let's see, uh, let's see Bill Ruhana, I hope I got that right, the CEO of Redbox actually hopes to purchase Netflix DVD DVD business and bring it in under Redbox. He said straight up, I'd like to buy it. I wish Netflix would sell me that business instead of shutting it down. So right now, Redbox is the biggest DVD rental company in the U.S. with 32,000 kiosks across the country. And they just announced plans to add another 1,500 kiosks at, at uh, Dollar General stores. And uh, Ruhana even said that the Dollar General kiosks are some of their most profitable kiosks. Uh, he said he has reached out to Netflix over the years, expressing a desire to buy the DVD business, but they've been ignoring him. He said, I've tried like three or four times to reach out to the corporate development people about it, but just got rebuffed each time. So when I saw it being closed, I thought, well, maybe they'll do it now. Uh, but unfortunately, a Netflix source says that the company is winding down the business and not selling it. Now, as for what's going to happen to all of those warehouses full of DVDs and so forth, who knows? But I mean, Redbox is actually kind of optimistic now because they said that this could be a great boon to us because now there are a whole bunch of people who are going to look for a new place to get their DVDs, and we're close to 90% of them based on where our kiosks are located. As for the DVD rental business, he says, we believe in it, and we believe it's going to be around for a while. Like most legacy things, it's a lot harder to kill them than people say. 
So, yeah, I mean, that still sucks because the stuff that they have at Redbox is basically newer stuff. They might have some older legacy stuff every now and then, but nothing like what Netflix DVD had. I really, I mean, I'm not a business person. I don't understand the reason why they're winding it down rather than selling it. If, it, if this is all about not losing money, then okay, take that, that short-term one-time payment to sell the business, get it done and over with. That could be several million dollars right there that Netflix could say, okay, just give us the money and then take the existing facilities and simply put a red box up. That'd be great if Redbox decided to do DVD by mail. I'd subscribe to it. I would absolutely, if they simply took over for Netflix DVD, I'd say, fine. Even if they raised the price a little bit, okay, I'll take it. So now I got to try to blow through my queue that, uh, of discs that I have listed to try to get them all viewed before it shuts down. Otherwise, it's going to either be buying used DVDs if I can find them, or putting on the old pirate hat. Honestly, given the choice of buying used DVDs or putting on the pirate hat, I'd rather pay a new subscription service to just keep doing what I'm doing. Oh, well, doesn't make any sense to me, but whatever. How many of you remember uh, uh, a business called People PC? It had this, this cute little kid who was doing all the advertising. He was in a business suit, and he was all smiles, talking about People PC. And the whole idea behind People PC was that they would give you a free PC, and it would have their own software on it so that it would serve up advertising, and they'd obviously see what you're doing and where you're going on the web and so forth so that they could monetize all that. But the whole idea is that the PC is yours to keep as long as you have their software on it, I guess for a certain amount of time, so that they can make their money back through advertising. So now, is America ready for free ad-supported TV? Well, I mean, granted, People PC didn't last very long, uh, but Ilya Posen, the co-founder of Pluto TV, which is the free ad-supported service now owned by Paramount, thinks that it's time for free ad-supported TV. So they have officially unveiled Telly, a company that plans to ultimately give away millions of premium TV sets for free. So Posen said, for too long, consumers have not been an equal part of the advertising value exchange. Companies have been making billions of dollars from ads served on televisions, yet consumers have historically had to pay for both the TV and the content they watch. All of that changes today. When I co-founded Pluto TV, we created an entirely new model that offered amazing TV content to viewers for free. Now, with telly, we are providing the actual television for free as well. Now, here's the part that's interesting. The advertising that's going to be shown is not going to be shown on the TV itself. So, in, in the tour that he gave uh, regarding how this is going to work in, in his New York office, they had a 55-inch Ultra HD TV up above, and then below that was an integrated driver soundbar, and a second smart screen directly below that. So microphones allowed for voice-activated commands with an HD camera built in. Yeah, that's not a concern, is it? Uh, for video calling and things like that. Uh, and a motion sensor for interactive games, whatever. But the thing is, it was that display on the bottom, not the 55-inch TV, but that second screen that displayed weather, sports, stock prices, uh, and a sponsored news ticker. And on the right of that was a square box where all of the ads cycled through. So it wouldn't be on your TV. It would be on this lower screen that's part of the package. 
And apparently this TV is not going to be some cheapy, you know, crap TV either, from what they're saying. Posen says that if it were to be sold at similar markup to other TV sets, it would retail for more than $1,000, and that the goal was to build a future-proof TV that would not be outdated in three or four years. Uh, adding that the intent is to offer software updates every couple of weeks and add features like karaoke or games or workout classes. So apparently this is actually not a new idea. A free TV set supported by advertising and, of course, f- you know the data of what you do and what you watch, because who needs privacy anymore, uh, has been a long time coming with many marketers predicting that this was inevitable a few years ago. So the other thing that's kind of cool is Telly will let users use whatever operating system they want, whether it's Roku or Fire TV or even an old-fashioned antenna and cable box. They don't care. So the TV itself looks like it's, yeah, whatever, it's a TV. Here you go. Do what you want with it. But the lower screen will always remain ad-enabled. So that's the catch on that one. And apparently this TV will also ship with an Android TV dongle. But this is where, if before you start thinking, hey, this is awesome, it can get a free TV, get ready, because you basically have to give them your life story before they even send it to you. Catch this one. You're giving us your demographics, your psychographics at the individual and household level before you even get your device. So we know who you are. We know where you live. We know your income. We know what car you're driving. We know when your lease is up. We know what your favorite brands are. We know your favorite sports teams. So when you first bring your TV home, you scan a QR code with your phone and the data is already there. So basically, you have to sacrifice a whole ton of personal data before they will even give it to you. Now, I mean, the way they're framing it isn't... I get it. I get it. Uh, It says that... um... You know, they, they want all that information so that they can give targeted advertising to that little display that they have. And so they say that if so, if Toyota wants to run an ad to people cur- that currently own a Honda whose lease expires within the next 12 months, we pick and choose those individual TVs and only those TVs, and that's where the ad shows up. So they're doing it in a way to very specifically target the advertising at people who should have that instead of, you know, just paying a channel and saying, here, blast this advertisement out to all of your viewers, most of whom probably have no interest. So I get where they're going. I I get it. And some people, including some people who are listening to this right now, might shrug their shoulders and say, eh, whatever. I don't care about giving that information out. Your call. Your call. But, you know, that, that, that's all up to you. So the second screen is actually kind of impressive when you look at it. It's the full width you got a 55-inch Ultra HD TV, and then below that is a screen that is the exact same width. So it's not like this little teeny tiny box down below. They're shoving this stuff in your face, and they've got the sound bar integrated between them. It's actually kind of a cool-looking setup. I won't deny it. So the, the lower screen is 55 inches, or well, not 55, but it's the same width as a 55-inch TV, but it's only 9 inches high. So if you are interested... They uh, promised to start shipping the first 500,000 free TVs, 500,000 free TVs to qualifying U.S. customers this summer. And you can go to freetelly, free, T-E-L-L-Y dot com if you're interested and if you want to sign up. I mean, they do say that all of Telly's features comply with privacy regulations, but, you know, it's, 
they're going to take every single little bit of data that they can possibly get, and probably more until they are told to stop. So anyway, that's it for streaming and hardware and all that other stuff, and for DVDs that are going away, which pisses me off. On the on the other hand, you know, if Netflix sells all those DVDs, they could come at rock bottom prices on eBay. You never know. Anyway. Not really much to talk about in the box office because the box office is dominated by two movies. It's Guardians of the Galaxy and the Super Mario Brothers movie. Both of which, well, Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 3 made $62 million over the weekend. Super Mario Brothers movie still made $12 million over the weekend. That movie is absolutely crushing it. It has so far made $1.2 billion worldwide. Yeah, all of that concern about Chris Pratt playing Mario, eh, that kind of went away, didn't it? But even though those are the two big movies right now, others are still doing well. Evil Dead Rise, that's been doing very well. $132 million globally so far on only a $19 million budget, so that's definitely a hit. John Wick Chapter 4, $100 million production budget so far, that's brought in $425 million globally. Others, eh, not so much. Ant-Man and the Wasp, Quantumania, actually does not look like it's going to do well. It That had a $200 million budget, and so far, that's only brought in $475 million. And for a, for, a, for a budget like that, it really needs to bring back like five hundred to $600 million for it to consider, be considered profitable. So maybe it's break-even, maybe not. I've also heard that movie's a mess. I really have not heard good things about that one. And otherwise, it looks like, are you there, God? It's me, Margaret. That's going to be a bomb. $30 million production budget, and so far, it's only made $16 million. Now, it, it hasn't gone outside the the uh, U.S. and Canada right now, but still, that looks like that one's going to get hit. Oh, well, yeah, it, uh, so be it. So, off to the movies here. <laughs> can't believe this is good no, I, I can't say i can't believe this is going to happen i really should not be surprised freaky friday the 2003 movie starring jamie lee curtis and Lindsay lohan yep it's getting a sequel and they're both expected to reprise their roles so the film uh grossed 160 million dollars globally when it came out and rumors of a potential sequel began earlier this year as uh, jamie lee curtis was hitting the awards cir- circuit for everything everywhere all at once where she often said how she would like to reprise the role and that had uh, there had been talks with Disney to do so well now it looks like it's absolutely happening obviously there's nothing else to go on at this point so once I find out more I will let you know now this is something I didn't hear about I was kind of surprised when I read about this I like Rogue One I thought that was a really good movie um I knew it was going to be a war movie going into it. So as long as you go into war or rogue one, understanding that it's going to be a war movie, I think that puts you in a proper frame of mind for it. And I enjoyed it. I really liked it, but apparently because of the amount of footage that was shot, but not used, some fans have been wondering if there's going to be a better edit someday, uh, given how much didn't make it into the final cut. So it was directed by Gareth Edwards but then underwent five weeks of reshoots from Tony Gilroy. Um, and apparently there were a lot of things, and we talked about this before in a previous episode, uh, Rogue One's initial trailer and TV spots contained many tantalizing shots that hinted at scenes that didn't make the final cut. Now, we talked about that before regarding that one lawsuit that was filed by fans of Ana de Armas, who suddenly was shown in the trailers 
for the movie yesterday, but she wasn't actually shown in the movie, and fans got angry because they said, hey, she's in the trailer, she should be in the movie, and she wasn't, blah, 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 blah. We talked about that. But it's not unusual for trailers to contain footage that eventually ends up on the editing room floor. So Tony Gilroy, who did the uh, who, who did the reshoots for Star Wars, or for, yeah, for Rogue One, is the showrunner for Andor. So when he was asked about a possible better edit for Rogue One, he said, uh, no, that was the absolute best possible version you could ever have. Oh my God, no, no. I'm not going to go into any more detail, but the more authority that you hear people talk about online, about what happened on that movie, the less they know. That's all that needs to be said. Maybe someday, but no. That's interesting that he said, maybe someday. Well, I mean, if that's the best possible version you could ever have, then maybe someday what? I don't know. said, uh, that's the absolute best version of that movie you could possibly imagine in the time that was given. But at the same time, Ben Mendelsohn, who played Orson Krennic in the film, said back in 2016 that the unused footage could have told a vastly different story, saying there were enormous differences within, I would have said, 20 or 30 of the scenes. There would be enormously different renderings. So I don't know. If, uh, <laughs> this is the first I'd heard about the possibility of a better cut. I enjoyed the movie the way it was, but apparently it's not going to happen. So Beetlejuice 2 has begun production with Tim Burton back in the director's chair. Jenny Ortega is leading the cast with Michael Keaton reprising his role. Winona Ryder is back playing Ortega's mother. And Catherine O'Hara, she is also on her way back, but now they have added Willem Dafoe. And while plot details are keeping, uh, you know, they're, they're keeping mum on that one, it is understood that Dafoe, Dafoe is playing a law enforcement officer in the afterlife. So no word about Alec Baldwin coming back. Obviously, he has his own issues going on with the whole thing with Rust, which has resumed production. And no word about Jeffrey Jones reply, reprising his role as Catherine O'Hara's husband. But I honestly don't see that one coming because he's had a lot of run-ins with the law, starting with his 2002 arrest for the possession of child pornography, as well as being arrested twice since then in Florida and California and other issues that have been going on as recently as 2019. So I don't expect Jeffrey Jones to be coming back. As of right now, the movie is scheduled to be released on September 6th, 2024. Those of you who are Superman fans, I know one in particular, might be very happy to hear this. Uh, with Superman Legacy becoming the first true film in the new James Gunn DC Universe, uh, currently scheduled for a 2025 release, there are still the potential for other Superman movies to be released, just not part of that world. So apparently what James Gunn is doing is he has what's called his Elseworlds tale, sort of like uh, a Star Wars story. You know, it's not part of the main branch of Star Wars, but it's still in there. And in this case, it looks like Elseworlds is kind of like Joker. You know, so, you know, Joker is not actually part of the main Batman franchise that we all know. It's an offshoot alternate reality, alternate universe, however you want to look at it. Apparently, that's what the Elseworlds title is. And Ta-Nehisi Coates and J.J. Abrams apparently have another take on Superman that they've been talking about. Uh, and just because James Gunn has his Superman version doesn't mean that they will not be allowed to do their version of Superman. So James Gunn said, those two things are totally unrelated. That's an exciting movie. I know that Chantal Nong, who is the executive on that project, is extremely excited about it. 
So if it comes in and it's great, which I haven't read the script, and if the timing is right, that could absolutely happen. That is totally unrelated. It would be an Elseworlds tale like Joker. So there's that little, that, that's how they're doing this, uh, that Gunn and Safran have said that movies that don't fall into their shared universe, such as Batman, the Batman Part 2 or the upcoming Joker movie, are labeled as Elseworlds, denoting that they are separate from the main story that Gunn and Safran are going for. So obviously there's no announcement yet. This is simply saying that, yeah, if it happens and it's a good story, it could happen. But still, it's nice to know that they're allowing alternate takes outside of their own main storyline. Those of you who have been listening to this podcast for a long time, long time, uh, which would be like three, maybe four of you, uh, know that I'm a big fan of Ardman animations, the old Wallace and Gromit cartoons and movies and so forth. Been big fans of those for a long time. Well, they had their movie back in 2000 called Chicken Run. Guess what's getting a sequel? And that sequel is going to be called Chicken Run Dawn of the Nugget. (laughs) So protagonist Ginger is back uh, with rats Nick and Fletcher, following hens Mac, Bunty, and Babs, as well as Rooster Fowler. But not all of the uh, ensemble voice cast from the first movie will be reprising their roles. Ginger and Rocky original actors Julia Swalla and Mel Gibson will not be returning, and they will instead be voiced by Zachary Levi and uh, Tandyway Newton. And since Fowler voice actor Benjamin Whitrow uh, died back in 2017, that role will be played by David Bradley. Now, the original voice actors for Bunty, Babs, and Mac will be coming back, but also joining the cast is Last of Us star Bella Ramsey as Molly. And there'll be a couple of others, but you get the idea. So this was first announced back in 2018, and the plot really doesn't say anything. If you've seen Chicken Run, then you understand the, 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 the whole idea behind them trying to get away from Tweety's farm. And now it says that, but back on the mainland, the whole of chicken kind faces a new and terrible threat. For Ginger and her team, even if it means putting their own hard-won freedom at risk, this time they're breaking in. As I said, I love the original Chicken Run. I love pretty much just anything that Ardman does. Uh, unfortunately, or otherwise, however you wish to look at it, it is releasing exclusively on Netflix on November 10th. It would be nice if it had a theatrical release, but if you have Netflix and you're a fan of the original Chicken Run, this is good news for you. Oh, hey, we got another movie that has been, uh, well, the original was some 20 years ago, and it's getting a sequel. I should probably name the episode something like that, Sequels After 20 Years, because that, that seems to be a running theme here today. There is a sequel to Dodgeball in the works, which came out in 2004, and Vince Vaughn is returning. So right now it is currently in early development with 20th Century Studios. Although Rawson Thur... Let's try this again. Rawson Marshall Thurber wrote and directed the original film. It's not clear yet whether he'll be involved in the sequel, and who, if not him, would direct. So the original sports comedy grossed over $168 million worldwide against a $20 million budget. Therefore, it is definitely a success. And all that's known about the sequel in terms of the plot is that it will continue the story of Vaughn's prize-winning gym owner, which doesn't give anything to go on. So anyway, if I find out anything more, I will let you know. I won't put this necessarily under the sequel category, but it looks like there is going to be yet another Street Fighter movie. 
So Danny and Michael Philippou, uh, who are behind the uh, Sundance Horror Sensation Talk to Me, are in final negotiations to direct. And obviously this is based on the, the classic beat-em-up video game from Capcom. So the first Street Fighter came out in 19, 1987. The second one came out in 1991. And that one was the first one to offer a choice of characters and fighting techniques, which was kind of revolutionary when it came to the uh, beat-em-up kind of games back then. The take on the material, which characters would be involved, wasn't revealed, but if those two are being hired based off the strength of their you know, horror sensation talk to me, then chances are tension and gore could possibly be on the agenda. This obviously is not the first Street Fighter movie. There was the 1994 film with Jean-Claude Van Damme, Kylie Minogue, Ming-Na Wen, and the late Raul Julia. And of course, another Street Fighter, The Legend of Chun-Li, back in 2009. The first Street Fighter did very well, bringing in $100 million globally off of a $35 million budget. The second one tanked, absolutely tanked, bringing in a total of $12 million worldwide. So and we'll see what happens, but uh, based on who's being looked at for the filmmaker, you can expect this one to be a little bit more grisly than previous installations. Transformers the movie, released back in the 1980s, was an absolute classic. Still quoted by many nerds, you know, today, myself included. Freaking amazing hard rock soundtrack. Well, it looks like we are now getting the first animated theatrical release since, well, that one. So Paramount Animation has revealed that they are coming out with uh, a new Transformers animated movie called Transformers 1. And it's going to be starring uh, voices of Chris Hemsworth, Brian Tyree Henry, Scarlett Johansson, Keegan-Michael Key, John Hamm, and Lawrence Fishburne. This is going to be an origin story set before the events on Earth uh, with, the Transformers in, in, with the Transformers in a secret world on their home planet of Cybertron. In a secret world on their home planet. So then it's not a secret they're going to be on their home planet of Cybertron. Great reporting there. Uh, let's see, where a young Optimus Prime and young Megatron will go from brothers in arms to sworn enemies. Got nothing else on it except that it has a release date of July 19th, 2024. And now I want to go back and listen to the original movie soundtrack. Oh, and speaking of the original movie... For centuries, our kind has stayed hidden on Earth. But darkness has found us again. Prime. This is about the fate of all living things. Unicron is coming. This is not our war. Optimus, we must trust each other to protect the home we all share. How big can this guy be? Uh, he eats planets. So, like, way bigger than a planet. In the end, everything you cared for will be consumed. Maybe there's another way to save our home. Never faced anything like this. Let them come. And that is the latest trailer for Transformers Rise of the Beasts in theaters June 9th, so it's probably the last trailer. And I'm not gonna 
deny that I'm interested. I might go see that. I might, I might, I might, I might, I might. Anyway, anyway, if you want to see the full trailer, you know where to go. The Avatar The Last Airbender movie. No, 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 not, not, not that one. Not, not, not the bad one. The new one that's coming out. This one is actually back with Nickelodeon Animation, Paramount Animation, and Avatar Studios. So this is going to be much more like the original TV series. Now has a confirmed release date of October 10th, 2025. So yeah, I understand that's more than two years away. But you know, considering the last Avatar movie, I'm sure that this one will be worth the wait. So no details of the new film are currently available, uh, but it could possibly focus on the time between Avatar The Last Airbender and its follow-up, The Legend of Korra. So the years following Aang's defeat of Ozai at the end of the war uh, have never really been handled. So it's also been hinted that the film will follow older versions of the characters that the fans know, showing how they work together to restore the world after the destruction brought about by the Fire Nation. So who knows what, what it's going to be like, but considering that, it, it, that part of the team on it is Avatar Studios, then there's a reasonable expectation that it'll be more like the TV series and not like that movie. So CinemaCon happened, and CinemaCon is not really for you and me. It's meant for theater owners like AMC, Regal, you know, large independent chains, Alamo Drafthouse, stuff like that. Uh, but there are things that show up there that really mean it affects us and it affects the way that we watch movies and so forth. They had a whole bunch of, of trailers and teasers and sizzle reels and so forth, which we most likely will never see, especially the sizzle reels. But again, there are some things that came out of there that do effectively impact us and our ability to watch movies in theaters and so forth. So, uh, let's see, Warner Brothers Discovery Chief David Zaslav uh, said that he is going to continue to show support for theatrical releases, saying, We do not believe in streaming movies. Movies in theaters perform substantially better when we bring them to HBO Max than any of the direct-to-streaming movies. We said it nine months ago, and we said it six months ago. We've never felt stronger about it. There is no purer form of storytelling than the motion picture business. Warner Brothers uh, Discovery is not in the retail business, not in cable, not broadband, not phone. We are just storytellers. But he does say we need to innovate the experience to focus on getting people into the theaters in an environment that, that continues to be contemporary. A lot of what you are doing has been helping. And if we can do that, this industry will be stronger than ever. So it's pretty clear that Warner Brothers is going to continue to push movies into theaters first instead of HBO Max first. And well, proof of that is Evil Dead Rise. We already talked about that. It had something of what was it, a thirty million dollar budget? It's already brought in one hundred and thirty-two million, and that was originally intended to be HBO Max exclusively. Then they decided to bring it into theaters, and hello, they're making a ton of money from it. So you know, for those of you who are looking forward more to movie-going experiences instead of oh, just wait until it comes to streaming, well, that that at least is good news for you, and we'll just have to see what happens in the future. Producer Jason Reitman has confirmed that the new sequel to Ghostbusters, uh, which is due out on December 20th, returns the franchise to New York City where the first movie took place. And that's it. <laughs> that's all that we have. I mean, they'll probably confirm that whenever the first trailer comes out. But if there's any question on whether the new Ghostbusters franchise was going to go back to the firehouse in New York City, that's a yes. Sony presented a roughly two-minute sizzle reel uh, explicitly for the Spider-Man offshoot movie Craven. It's going to star Aaron Taylor-Johnson. And the studio confirmed that this will be their first 
R-rated Marvel movie. Obviously, the previous Spider-Man movies and Venom movies, as well as Morbius, have all been rated PG-13. Now, if you don't know who Kraven the Hunter is, he is apparently a maniacal big-game hunter who seeks to defeat Spider-Man to prove that he is the greatest hunter in the world. So this two-minute sizzle reel apparently has a bunch of gruesome kills in it as Craven takes out poachers and mercenaries. But whether the Craven movie will, like Morbius, connect to the larger Spider-Man franchise remains to be seen. Well, yeah, so there's the first confir- the confirmation that Craven is actually going to be Sony's first R-rated Marvel movie. Sony also kicked off CinemaCon by saying that Bad Boys 4 is coming, starring Will Smith and Martin Lawrence. And really, that's all we've got right now, except Will Smith says that everything is going to be spectabulous. Yes, that is the quote. Also from CinemaCon, Disney confirmed a number of release dates for at least all everything for this year. Uh, obviously, Little Mermaid comes out in a little over a week, so that comes out May 26th. Indiana Jones and the Dial of Destiny comes out June 30th. Elemental comes out on June 16th. Haunted Mansion comes out on July 28th. And Wish comes out on November 22nd. There weren't a whole hell of a lot of updates that uh, affect you and me, you know, because they show sizzle reels and stuff like that that they obviously are not going to make public. Okay, so as those of you who are longtime listeners know, I do not have the talent, the gift, whatever, of being able to simply hit record on this podcast and go until the podcast is done. God, I wish I did. Believe me, I wish I did. But no. Me doing an hour, hour and 15 minute podcast usually takes about four to five hours of time, and that's to do the recording because I suck. So now we are in day two of recording, and something has popped up. I mentioned that Disney Plus was removing a bunch of uh, movies and, and other franchises from both Disney Plus and Hulu, but I said that there was no list of what was coming out. We now have a list, or at least a partial list, and some of them are just mind boggling. Now, keep in mind, these are not necessarily franchises that are being canceled and no new episodes are being made. These are, at least for some of these, they're franchises that are done and they're being removed completely so that Disney does not have to pay residuals on these. So, I mean, I'll have a link to the, to the list that they have. And again, it's only a partial list. But the one that blew my mind the most is Willow. Yes, Willow. The, the, the Willow series that has been on... Well, when did that when did that uh, last episode show? A couple of months ago. It's a brand new franchise, and Disney is already removing it from being able to be streamed. And here's the thing: keep in mind, this is this is all about residuals, all of it. It has nothing to do with well, you know, they're not so popular, so we're going to take them out of to, you know we're going to take them out of there to save storage. There's no storage involved on these. I have a Plex server. I have many friends and family members who have access to my Plex server. Probably the longest movie in my collection is the director's cut of Dances with Wolves, which clocks in at almost four hours. Oh, well, I mean, I guess Lord of the Rings movies would also qualify for that. But obviously, I have those all encoded in very high quality because they're visual feast. And right now, I am looking at my file for Dances with Wolves. It totals a massive whopping... 12 gigs that's it 12 gigs and out of my lord of the rings movies the biggest one is return of the king again it's the extended edition that comes in at a massive 18 gigs that's it and this is how streaming operates now yes those files are going to be they're going to have multiple copies spread around the world so that 
people can have the fastest access to wherever their geographic location is. You're not going to have somebody in in India accessing files in the U.S. That's not the way it works. That they're going to have a separate set of of servers in India to serve people in India. But let's just say they've got. For example, 20 separate data centers here in the U.S. to serve various locations for people in the U.S. and Canada. That's still only going to be 20 copies. There's no need to have multiple copies of those files, and they certainly are not going to have one copy of every file for every single customer. That's not the way it works. It's like my Plex server. Everybody who comes in, all of my friends and family who have access to my Plex server, they access the exact same Dances with Wolves. I don't have one copy for each of them. So this is not about storage. This is all about Disney not wanting to pay residuals, the people who signed the contracts, hoping to get something for the work that they put into it that's a bit longer lasting. And yeah, this this is why... And now that this since this announcement, a lot of film Twitter has been posting the same feelings that I have been talking about for years. If there is a TV or a movie franchise that you love and it's available on a physical format by the physical format with streaming you are completely at the whim of the streaming company as to whether or not you are going to be able to watch that content at some point in the future i mean if it's something that you're going to watch once or twice and probably never again okay whatever but if it's something that you truly love and you know you're going to want to see over and over again you cannot trust whatever streaming service that has it to be showing it at any point in the future it's it's <laughs> I'm risking I'm, I'm risking getting on a soapbox here and i really want to so badly i have been saying this for decades now buy the freaking discs if this kind of stuff means that there's going to end up being a resurgence of physical media i am so freaking for it although it should never have been necessary now alternately alternately i am completely aware fine just Download the videos from the internet and hold on to it. That's legit, too. That's fine. You know, BitTorrent is a thing. Just make sure that you back up your media regularly in case your hard drives fail, which they will in time eventually, you know, or whatever you're storing the stuff on. But the point is, you just you cannot count on streaming media anymore. And for, the, for the, the movies and TV shows that you really love, you really need to resort to either buying the disc, if it's available, or putting on your pirate hat, and dealing with whatever ethical problems you might have with that. Oh, well. Okay, so Deadpool 3, actress Brianna Hildenbrand and uh, Shioli Kutsana have closed their deals to return for Deadpool 3. So, obviously, Hildenbrand played Negasonic Teenage Warhead, and Kutsuna played her girlfriend, Yukio, a Japanese mutant ninja who was introduced in Deadpool 2. So, that, uh, I guess that kind of rounds out, uh, you know, most of the... the Big people from Deadpool 2. So, I mean, that that is that is absolutely cool by me. And uh, Sean Levy is going to be directing and producing. And you'll be able to see them on November 8th, 2024. Arnold Schwarzenegger is 75 years old, but he is showing no signs of slowing down. He is going to be back from a four-year hiatus with the action thriller Breakout, which will see him taking on the lead role of Terry Reynolds. When his stepson Daniel is framed and sentenced to 25 years in a foreign country, Reynolds makes a daring jailbreak to save him and must overcome an overzealous prison warden in a race against time to avoid capture and flee the country. 
The shoot is due to kick off this year at some point uh, in Eastern Europe. Credit where credit is due, man. The guy's 75 years old, and, and he's still doing this kind of stuff. Similarly, 76-year-old Sylvester Stallone is set to return for... Oh, here we go. See, th include this in the sequel, uh, you know, from, from movies that are many decades previous. Uh, he is now set to return in a sequel to the 1993 action thriller Cliffhanger. While no details as to the plot of the sequel have been divulged, Stallone will reprise his character of Ranger Gabriel Walker from the original film, which was directed by Rennie Harlan, and grossed over $255 million worldwide. So in the original movie, Walker looked to help rescue a band of stranded hikers, only to discover that they were in fact of gang of a, a gang of violent criminals looking to recover their missing $100 million following a plane crash. Again, 76 years old, going to make another action-adventure movie. Credit where credit is due. I hope I'm, hope I'm that energetic at 76. I hope I'm still alive at 76. If you are planning to see Martin Scorsese's Killers of the Flower Moon this October when it comes into theaters, I, I hope you empty your bladder before you sit down. The final runtime of the movie is going to be 3 hours 26 minutes. There were some guesses that were speculating it could be as much as four hours, but apparently three hours and 26 minutes is the time where Martin Scorsese has locked his cut. Go to the bathroom, get a small soda or no soda, and you might want to bring an extra cushion with you. This next one is I know that, that uh, is going to appeal to a certain segment of my audience, and you know who you are. J. Michael Straczynski has announced that there is now going to be a Babylon 5 animated movie. It's going to be called Babylon 5, The Road Home. Now, apparently the film is already finished. It's ready to go. And according to him, he says it feels the most Babylon 5-ish of anything we've done since the original show. Uh, all of the actors from the original series who are still alive are now taking, you know, they're, they're reprising their roles in it. And it will not be released theatrically, but it will be released on DVD, Blu-ray, Ultra HD Blu-ray, and video on demand. So as of now, it is rated PG-13. Uh, all they're saying is the film is expected to release sometime in the summer. We don't have an exact release date. But you know, of course, I will let you know as soon as I find out anything about it. And from what he's been saying on Twitter as well, you don't really need to know anything about the Babylon 5 series in order to catch up with this animated movie. So hey, maybe this would be a, a good introduction to people who haven't had a chance to watch B5. I mentioned earlier that my wife and I watched uh, Superman the movie theatrically for the first time in our lives. The only time in our lives. You know, because we, we, we were just... I, I was just a wee lad when Superman first came out. And my wife was even more of a wee lass. But I did see Raiders of the Lost Ark theatrically. My sister uh, took me to see that one. And for those of you who have not seen it theatrically or would like to see it again theatrically, it too is coming back to theaters to celebrate the upcoming release of, of Dial of Destiny. So it's going to be shown on Sunday, June 4th, and Wednesday, June 7th. Chances are those schedules are going to be the same across the country, but, you know, you, go ahead and check on Fandango for uh, showtimes if it's in your area. And, hell yeah, I'll, I'll gladly go to see that in the theaters again. Well, regrettably, there has been a trailer for Dune Part 2 released, but it's not really a trailer that... Is something that's going to be effective for an audio-only podcast. Therefore, all I can do is say that it's coming out in theaters November 3rd. And if you want to see the trailer for yourself, 
I will have a link in the show notes, as always. Actor, producer, singer, and activist Harry Belafonte has died. One of his big claims to fame is his song Deo from his Calypso album, which spent 31 weeks in 1956 and is credited as the first LP to sell 1 million copies. But not just that, in the 1950s, he was also on the silver screen and was actually one of the very rare non-white sex symbols, which, I mean, that's, that's certainly something for the 1950s. The roles he took also didn't shy away from controversy. Uh, his role in Island in the Sun from 1957, he played a politician character that is romantically pursued by a rich white woman, which obviously, in 1957, caused a hell of a lot of controversy, but it also made a lot of money at the time. But he also starred in Robert Wise's Odds Against Tomorrow, survived a nuclear disaster in The World, the Flesh, and the Devil. But he also won an Emmy in 1955 for his TV special Tonight with Belafonte. And he was also one of the driving forces behind the nonprofit organization USA for Africa, which launched the single We Are the World, which was a big hit back in 1985. He first appeared on the silver screen of, in 1953's Bright Road. He then won a Tony Award the following year for his performance in the musical review John Murray Anderson's Almanac, and in the same year starred in the film adaptation of Oscar Hammerstein's Carmen Jones. And in some of the many movies that he starred in also, he co-starred with Sidney Poitier in The Buck and the Preacher in 1972, and again in Uptown Saturday Night in 1974. One of the absolute stars of stage, screen, and song, he died in his home on the Upper West Side of Manhattan from congestive heart failure at the age of 96. Put this one in the rumor category, but apparently Eddie Murphy is circling a new Pink Panther movie. Yep. So far, the Pink Panther franchise has made up 11 films, including a number of series and specials. So Jeff Fowler, who directed Sonic the Hedgehog, is set to direct. And yes, Murphy is expected to take on the role of Clouseau. Oh, oh, I can't wait to see the reactions of a certain segment of the population freaking out at how woke they are that Clouseau is going to be black. Oh no, the world is going to fall apart. So, Clouseau was originated in the 1960s by three-time Academy Award nominee Peter Sellers, and later by Emmy Award winner Steve Martin, back in the early 2000s. And according to this, a source close to Murphy described the project as a natural fit for him because he has long admired the comedic performances of Sellers. So, all it says is that it's being handled by MGM. It doesn't say if it's going to be streaming or theatrical, but as we know, Amazon has been showing some of their stuff theatrically. So we'll see what happens, and I'll let you know as I find out more. I can't imagine what you've been through. I love you, monkey. <laughs> you lost both parents in one day. Barry! I went back in time to save my parents. But instead, I completely broke the universe. If you went back and changed the past, this world must die. You changed the future. Do you know what this symbol stands for? It means hope, right? I will help you fight thought. You want to get nuts? Let's get nuts. That was what is likely to be the final trailer for The Flash. Oh, my God. I got to admit, I want to go see that. 
I do want to go see that. This is supposed to be the reboot, basically, of the uh, DC Universe. Only in theaters, June 16th. And if you want to see the rest of the trailer, and I think you do, you should, because it's a good trailer, then, uh, you know, that's all in the show notes. So I found an article that uh, James Gunn was talking about, and, (laughs) oh boy. Keep in mind, widescreen.org. The reason why I made this website, God, almost 30 years ago, and it might even be 30 years now, I don't know, was that when I worked at a movie theater, I finally understood what was going on with, uh, you know, seeing seeing the frame shift on the old VHS tapes. Why am I not seeing everything? Why am I not seeing everything that I know I saw in the theaters? You know, the whole black bars. Oh, my God, we're now seeing movies with black bars in the top and bottom of our screen. What is this? What does all this mean? People are freaking out, thinking that they're not getting the whole picture, when in reality, they are. But more or less back then, when a movie was shown in the theaters, the aspect ratio of the way the film was printed was the aspect ratio of the movie. And that's it. That That's the way it is. If it was 1.85 to 1 or 2.35 to 1 or anywhere in between. But pretty much that was it. And then when DVDs started to surge, well, even VHS, you know, becoming surging in popularity, laser discs, all of that. And uh, movie aficionados wanted to see the movie as it was intended to be. Suddenly we're getting the widescreen and letterbox versions with the black bars on top and bottom. Or the full frame version where the 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 movie was either chopped up or it had the black bars simply removed so you could see boom mics and things like that. But basically, that's that's the way it was. Rarely, rarely were both of those formats taken into account. James Cameron did for movies like Terminator 2, where he framed the movie specifically so that it looked okay in either widescreen or full screen versions. But going with that kind of mentality for 30 years, my brain blew up when I read this article. Apparently, James Gunn created 600 unique versions of Guardians of the Galaxy for the various types of cinemas. So apparently, he created multiple versions of the movie for a more custom experience for each type of theater configuration. So according to this, the intention was to give every exhibitor in the United States and in most international territories the ability to maximize their screen size for the audience so wherever you go to see it, you're going to see the best version. And on top of that, the movie also includes variable aspect ratios, with roughly 45 minutes of the movie opened up to a 1.85 to 1 aspect ratio, while the rest of the movie is in 2.39 to 1. (laughs) Now that version is available in select traditional theaters. Not quite sure what he means by that, and they don't make any specification. But apparently James Gunn designed it and shot it and framed the movie with this in mind. So this was his creative intention. And apparently the 3D version also takes advantage of the variable framing options. Although it doesn't go into any details about that. I'm curious about what they mean by that. So the team also created a version of Guardians 3 that only uses a 2.39 to 1 aspect ratio. And they also made an IMAX 1.9 to 1 aspect ratio version designed specifically for the squarish IMAX screen. But then, (laughs) that blew my mind enough, but apparently James Cameron made 1,065 different versions of Avatar The Way of Water, including combinations of 3D, high dynamic range, 4K, varying light levels, 
various aspect ratios, and high frame rates, and of course, local languages. Now, I mean, I don't know. I guess that counts, but I'm, I'm just thinking visually. And he did all that to offer a customized experience for each type of theater configuration. Holy shish kebab. I, <laughs> I get why they do it. I do. And as long as the director is the one who's involved with that selection process, okay, fine. But that that's just one of those things that I saw that I was like, what? But I get it now. So a number of other trailers have come out since the last podcast. I don't have, I mean, <laughs> you can only have so many trailers in this podcast, I guess. But I will have a link to them in the show notes if you're interested. Uh, so the first one is A Haunting in Venice, starring Kenneth Branagh as Hercule Poirot. So, yep, it's another Agatha Christie adaptation. That one looks nice and spooky for those of you who like those. That is coming out September 15th of 2023. Then there's Disney's Wish, which comes exclusively to theaters on November 22nd. According to this, it's all about 17-year-old Asha, the powerful King Magnifico, Asha's pet goat Valentino, and Star, which is a celestial ball of boundless energy that Asha's wish calls down from the sky. People come from everywhere to give their wishes to a magical king who promises to grant them their deepest desires someday. Only he can desire or can decide which wishes will come true and when, and based on the trailer, he's not a nice person. If you're familiar with the original movie Meg, or the Meg, or whatever it was from 2018, the big-ass shark movie. Not really my kind of thing, but yeah, that's okay. So yes, Meg 2, The Trench. There's now an official trailer out for that. Jason Statham and Wu Jing lead a daring research team on an exploratory dive to the deepest depths of the ocean, uh, where their voyage spirals into chaos when a malevolent mining operation threatens their mission and forces them into a high-stakes battle for survival with... The Big Megs. So that's coming to theaters on August 4th. And finally, and finally, something more on the creepy spooky side. This trailer literally just came out a few days ago. It's the trailer for Disney's Haunted Mansion. And yeah, it actually it actually does look creepy. If you didn't know it was Disney, you'd probably think it would be a rated R movie based on what they're showing. Or, or it could be rated R, but obviously it's Disney. It's going to be PG-13 tops. All they have for the plot is that it's about a woman and her son who enlist a motley crew of so-called spiritual experts to help rid their home of supernatural squatters. That is going to be exclusively in theaters on July 28th. And, of course, all of the trailers for that, you can either search for them yourself or just go to my show notes and click on the link. Your choice. A lot of people have been thinking, or they've also been, been saying online that, that Fast X, the latest Fast and Furious movie, is going to be the last, and actually it's not. Universal has chosen Louis Leterrier, to, uh, who has done Now You See Me, as well as several uh, Transporter action movies. Uh, he is now going to be directing the 11th Fast and Furious film. Then that's all they have. All They don't have a name or anything, but it's obviously not going to be ending anytime soon. And why should it? It's a freaking cash cow for Universal. So they're saying that the 11th film will be a companion to Fast X. They give absolutely no other indication as to what it's all about. But, I mean, that's, that, that's too big of a franchise for, for anyone to ignore. So as soon as I find out more information, I will absolutely let you know. And finally, coming... <laughs> This one coming from the Cannes Film Festival, of all places. Uh, I, I just find it funny, considering what the movie is. We've talked about the 
indie sensation uh, Winnie the Pooh, Blood and Honey, the, the micro-budget slasher film all about Winnie the Pooh and Piglet going on a murderous rampage. <laughs> the movie was made for less than $100,000, but made more than $6 million globally. And no surprise to anyone, they have announced that there is a sequel on the way. And it has already been purchased for a number of different territories. So principal photography on the sequel is scheduled for the fall, with the plot being kept under wraps. I mean, duh. Uh, the production is expected to include a substantially larger budget than its predecessor film. I mean, that's also kind of duh. You know, just as long as the, the new money doesn't take away from what made the original movie the sensation that it was. Not that I care. I, don't, I hate slasher movies. I'll never watch it. But clearly, just, just the novelty of it, that struck a chord with people. But let's face facts, if it wasn't any good, it probably would have died on the vine anyway. But also from Ken, and also directly related to the previous article, <laughs> we've talked about this movie before, Bambi the Reckoning, which is from the same producers as the Winnie the Pooh Blood and Honey slasher, has also sold to a number of international territories with the hopes that it can achieve the similar success Uh and I'm sure that it will, of the Winnie the Pooh slasher. So the plot is set to involve a mutated killer deer in the vein of Cujo, or maybe even uh, Cocaine Bear. Who knows? <laughs> of course, they can do all of this because Bambi and Winnie the Pooh and so forth, those original stories are now in public domain. So as long as they don't do anything that approaches what Disney did, and I don't really see how they could in this particular kind of thing, uh, then they're safe. They can use it as much as they want. And finally, on a happier note that I'm sure we could all appreciate, Harrison Ford has received an honorary Palme d'Or at the Cannes Film Festival, where he was given a career highlights reel and received a thunderous ovation from the crowd. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you. I'm, I'm very touched. I'm very moved by, by this. It, um, they say when you're about to die, you, you see your life flash uh, before your eyes. And I just saw my life flash before my eyes. A great part of my life, but not all of my life. My life has been enabled by my lovely wife, who is... Uh, Supported my passion and my dreams, and I'm grateful. And you know, um, I love you too. Thank you. You've given my life purpose and meaning, and I'm grateful for that, so grateful. So grateful to have the opportunity to work with artists like, like Jim and Phoebe, even Mads. <laughs> and I am, I'm deeply moved by this honor and, and humbled. But I got a movie you ought to see. It's right behind me. So let me get out of the way and thank you again for this, this great honor. Thank you.
And of course, the movie he was referring to was Indiana Jones and the Dial of Destiny, which everybody got to see at the film festival and reportedly had a five-minute standing ovation. And with that, we're now at the end of this episode. My thanks to all of you who have stuck with me through Thick and Thin on this podcast, going from once every two weeks to once every month. Oh, that's what I don't, don't, I really need to stop drinking soda when I'm recording. There are, there are bad gas results when I do that. <laughs> and sometimes I'm not fast enough to hit the mute. Anyway, that's it for now. No idea what the future's going to bring, but stay positive. By all means, follow me on Twitter or Twitch or Instagram, widescreen John on all of them. As always, questions, comments, constructive criticism, constructive criticism can always be sent to me at podcast at widescreen.org. So take care of yourselves, take care of each other, and toodles! I can pray and trick with a double tongue, but the only fool here is me. I choose the way to go, but the road won't set me free. Cause I wish you'd see me, baby. Save me, I'm going crazy. This day we'll die tonight and there ain't no exception We shouldn't wait for nothing to wait for Love me in this fable, babe, my heart is in your hand Our time is waiting right outside your door And maybe It's a better day. As always, this podcast is copyright 2023. Well, I mean, it's not always copyright 2023, but you you, you get the idea. Uh, and is released under the Creative Commons license. Some rights are reserved. The Widescreen Podcast is a proud member of the Blueberry Network. That's blueberrynoease.com. Theme music is by Poets of the Fall and is used with permission. Please visit their... Ooh, that sounded good. <clears throat> Please visit their website at poetsofthefall.com. This has been a widescreen.org production.